Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode seven of the Warning Track Power Podcast, where your baseball guys, Jake and Chris, cover all things MLB that have happened over the past week plus. And, you know, Chris, we've uh, it's been a little bit longer since our since our last episode, about 10 days or so. But we have a lot to get to um, the tail end before the All-Star break. Obviously, all of the festivities that happened in Denver over the past couple of days and uh, a little bit of a preview of uh, the second half of the season and the trade deadline. So let's jump right into it. What, what, I guess, what are your first thoughts? Uh, what, what comes to the front of your mind as you think about these last 10 days? Yeah, it's been a lot. Like you said, there's the things that happened, the final games, you know, we had about five or so games for each team after we hit uh, heading into the all-star break since we last talked. So there are a couple big developments from that, including a, a really rough injury we're going to talk about. And then we had all the all-star game festivities. And so that's top of mind for me, you know, what we saw um, over these past couple of days in Denver. And then, like you said, we're at this sort of big point of like, we're looking back, we're looking at what just happened in the all-star game, but also I think it's important what we're going to do today because it is time to start shifting our thought process as well to uh, what these next, really it's, it's middle of July right now. We only have a couple of weeks before the trade deadline. Right. Uh, so it's the 30th this week instead of the 31st. So as we're speaking here, it's the 14th. So it's just, you know, a little over two weeks from the trade deadline. We kind of think of it as like, oh, we got like most of July. It's really like two weeks. Uh, so it's going to be a fun time to talk about, you know, where team where things stand. We're going to kind of take a little refresher look at where every team, you know, what the playoff races look like right now. And also, you know, what are some teams that really need to, get on track in these next couple of weeks to, you know, what, you know, to see how this is all going to play out heading into the deadline uh, because there are teams heading in various directions from teams that look like they're going to be sellers to teams that look like they're going to be all in a lot of questions to talk about. I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm just excited <laughs> because like, I'm, I'm excited to look back, but I'm also ready to also, you know, look forward at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get right into it. And Chris, you kind of mentioned this, uh, in your open, Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, major injury on Saturday, right before the All-Star break. And he was slated, uh, I believe, to start the All-Star game for the National mm -hmm. League and uh, tried to make a jumping catch and uh, tore his ACL in, uh, in Miami on, uh, on Saturday. Still was in Denver um, as part of the, the All-Star team, but obviously could not play and um, is set to have surgery in, uh, I guess, the next couple of days here. But, you know, you just think about the impact that that's going to have on a Braves team that's, you know, not kind of performing, I think, to expectations as, you know, coming into the season. Um, so, Chris, what, you know, obviously you feel for the Braves and for Acuna and for baseball fans because he's just fun to watch, but what kind of impact do you think this has on Atlanta moving forward, especially because like you mentioned, they're one of those teams that kind of has to figure out what they're going to do, especially in, you know, an NL East that's pretty much up for grabs at this point. Yeah. It's an interesting position that they're in. Um, you know, I, obviously, like you said, horrible situation for Acuna for baseball fans. He's one of the most talented players in the game, in the sport, you know, top mm -hmm. five talented player in the sport in my mind um 
And so obviously it's rough. He's going to be, you know, out the rest of the season, probably going to be out a few months into 2022. That wouldn't be a surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Braves. Yeah. Like you said, they're sitting right now in third place in the NL East. Now they're only four games back of the New York Mets uh, who are just seven games above 500. So there's a big grouping of teams really in that division right now. And it wouldn't really shock anybody if three, if not four of those teams are, you know, are in the hunt, I would say. Uh, maybe not so the Nationals, the, the Marlins, not so much, but the Braves, the Phillies, the Mets, that could go either either way. You know, any of those teams could win that division. Of course, the Braves already without Marcelo Zuna, um, you know, dealing with a finger injury. And then, of course, under investigation, as we've talked about, for a very serious um, allegation of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also without starting catcher Travis Darno. This is a team that, you know, the pitching hasn't been there. They've won the NL East two years in a row now, and they look like they, they were the favorites or, you know, them and the Mets, it was either them or the Mets, the favorites to win that division. And so right. now I'm not sure what they're going to do. I mean, that lineup is pretty depleted when you're missing your star leadoff hitter and your cleanup hitter uh, right. in Acuna and Ozuna. They've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Ozzy Albies. Those are two, you know, all-stars. And, you know, Austin Riley is a solid player, but other than that, that lineup is really, really, you know, not a big, the force that it looked like at one point. And it's not going to, that's not really going to change unless they make a move. It's not like they've got a couple, you know, it's not like they've got a star player who's about to come back from the injured list. Um, You know, Ozuna and um, Acuna, not likely to be playing for the Braves, uh, certainly not Acuna, probably not Ozuna this season. So I don't know. I, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see them be aggressive at the deadline to be in on some big bats. Uh, they could also use some pitching help. I have to feel like this is a team that has an expectation of winning still, despite all this, uh, after what they've done the last two seasons. And I think they have the still have some big core parts to be able to be successful, uh, particularly because they're not buried in that division at all. So my thought process is it probably makes them more likely to make moves coming up at the deadline, but it, they're also maybe a bad week or week and a half away from maybe slipping out of contention too. So, you know, right now though, I'm leaning toward them being aggressive to make a splash at the deadline. How about you? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking right along with you, Chris. And, you know, you look, you look at the lineup that they're putting out there at this point, you know, you got guys like Ozzy Albies. He's obviously an all-star Freddie Freeman another all-star Dansby, Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley uh, on the infield. And that's pretty, you know, pretty well set and has been uh, pretty much all year. Then you look in the outfield and you're missing, like you said, Ozuna and Acuna. And then you're pretty much at this point, your everyday center fielder is Guillermo Heredia. And, you know, he's been all right for them batting 253 with a 757 OPS. But if you're going to compete, especially losing, you know, a top five player in the game in Acuna, you're going to have to go out there and make some kind of a splash to kind of try and replace that offense that he would give you. You're not going to find that, um, but it's going to, you're going to have to have something that's going to, you know, almost get to that level. You know, he was on pace for probably a 40, 40 season with 24 homers and 17 RBI or 17 uh, stolen bases. Um, so just really a big time bummer to see him go down and uh, hopefully he'll be back next year and he'll, he'll uh, make ba- uh, baseball fans excited to watch him again. And I'm sure that it, he's uh, already sick of sitting out. So 
definitely a big bummer for Acuna there, but some uh, big time oddity happened uh, on Thursday in the Nationals Padres game. Chris, what, when you saw this, what went through your mind? You know, I think my reaction was kind of like, uh, and I don't know if you saw this, the actual call from Don Orsillo on the Padres broadcast. He was just mm-hmm. completely stunned. It was like his, his real-time reaction was just like, what? You know, the, yeah. he's, you know, as, as um, reliever Daniel Camarena, uh, I believe I'm saying that, Camarena, uh, 28-year-old rookie, just his second appearance in the majors, grand slam <laughs> off of the nl all-star starter max scherzer max scherzer yeah uh you know i i was just it's you know you see weird things every week it's always somehow this game's been around for decades decades centuries and yet we still have surprises pretty much every week and this was certainly um one of them i mean this is a guy who you know was was like i said 28 years old a rookie originally drafted by the Yankees in the 20th round back Mm -hmm. in 2011. Um, He's actually from a high school that's about 30 minutes away from Petco Park. So he's kind of a hometown, uh, hometown guy. And yeah, there's, there's like not, it's, there's not too much else to say other than it's just, it's stunning. It's fun to see something so extraordinary happen when you get a reliever hitting a home run that left the bat at 107 miles an hour. Um, (laughs) it's that that was really crazy to see and it kind of just shows like you know strange things can happen any given night and in any situation right like you might expect oh you know something crazy will happen off of some you know this is off of max scherzer like like i said the four-time all-star game starter and you know it's something strange every night it was really kind of remarkable to see oh yeah absolutely um especially for a game that was supposed to be you know, the battle of the aces with you Darvish right. going for the Padres. And then, you know, the Padres end up going down eight to nothing in the fourth inning. And, you know, this guy comes up to the plate. He's like, oh, I have to bat. I don't really get a choice. And then ends up yeah. sending one out of the park. I was looking at his his baseball reference page. And he, he that was his second at-bat of his career. The first one came a couple of <laughs> weeks earlier. But his OPS plus now is 564. <laughs> he should just retire from batting yeah. at least. He, he'll <laughs> yeah. go down as the, the best, one of the best batters in history. 2,500 OPS, 2,000 slugging percentage, and a 564 OPS plus. So just a fun, wild little thing that kind of happened. And uh, yeah, it's a fun little tidbit. No doubt about it. Yeah. So, Chris, we had the uh, a little bit of a glimpse into the future of the MLB. We both we had both the MLB draft and the futures game uh, go on last weekend, and uh, a lot you know a lot of young players, some some talent to look at in the futures game, and uh, some exciting prospects uh, getting selected in the draft. So. Um, First, do you have any like, you know, guys that you're super excited about? And then, you know, touch on kind of what your your Cardinals did uh, in the draft. And then we'll we'll cover what the White Sox did, obviously. But um, what, what was kind of your your takeaways from the draft and the Futures game, if you have any? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, the futures game, it's, it's always interesting, but it also comes sort of at a, it was on Sunday, there were actual, you know, other MLB games happening and big soccer games, there's all sorts of things kind of happening at the same time there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's exciting. It's also kind of hard to get too into it, you know, because, but, yeah. but obviously, uh, you know, you have some of baseball's best young prospects at Coors Field for the game, uh, the NL kind of really running away with it. It ended up being eight to three. Mm-hmm. Um, no huge takeaways there, quite honestly. I mean, there, there, there are individual takeaways if you want to dive into it and look at how the game played out. There were some, there were some big performances. Um, yeah, sure. You know, when it comes to the draft, um, obviously it's also a unique thing, the, whole, the way the whole baseball draft works and the importance of it. Uh, mm-hmm. compared to like the NBA and the NFL, it's so different because, you know, number one, you can't trade draft picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, just the nature of the sports, you know, there's no player that's going to be drafted in the MLB draft who's going to be a game changer for their franchise the next day, right. you know, just because, you know, right, you, you, have, you draft a quarterback in the first round or in the first early picks, you're expecting mm-hmm. that quarterback to be a game changer for your franchise and within a few years, you know, to, to actually change the future of your organization. Yeah. In baseball, given the nature of how long it takes, the, the minor leagues, the, the number of years it takes for top prospects to actually make it to the majors and the, the success rate is lower, you know, than other sports. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's part of the reason why it's just not, frankly, as big of a, a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't get as much media attention as the others. But that being said, right. it is still really fun to pay attention to. Uh, yeah. If you're someone who's, who's, you know, really interested in sort of in baseball in particular, it's, it's harder for casual fans, sure. but if as, yeah. as big baseball fans, it certainly is exciting. Um, the Pirates surprised a lot of people taking Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville with the first overall pick mm-hmm. in a move that's uh, some people have said it's really smart. Some people have said it's really risky. Uh, the second time in thir- three years that a catcher has gone first overall, uh, Adley Rushman went to Baltimore two years ago. Yeah. Um, and obviously Davis, an incredible season, 370, 15 homers, 10 steals and 50 games with Louisville. Um, the team had been expected to go with shortstop Marcelo Meyer, mm-hmm. uh, and he ended up going fourth overall to Boston. And so there's pretty much universal praise as a, a to the Red Sox as a winner from the first round uh, with that pick, a guy who was expected to go first overall or many people expected to go first overall, ending up going fourth. Um I would also say uh, another takeaway, the Mets got one of Vanderbilt's co-aces, Kumar Rocker, 10th yeah. overall, uh, power arm, a deep arsenal, and he could someone that people think could be up pretty soon, uh, mm-hmm. potentially I think maybe next year uh, even. And so that was one that I saw people believing was a, a real winner uh, in the Mets. Um, and one other quick note, and I'll toss it back to you here. The Angels used, a, I don't know if you saw this, a really bold approach um, they had 20 picks in the 2021 MLB draft. They used yes. <laughs> every single pick to draft a pitcher. 19 yeah. of them were in out of college. Every single one of their picks was a pitcher, which is interesting because the Angels have for years now, um, the organization has had problems with pitching. Like it's, it's right. sort of a long running trend at this point. The organization <laughs> is struggling to develop pitchers. They currently have just one in the top 100 prospects. Um, right. So that was interesting yeah, to see them going full on uh, for pitchers. Um, the Brewers also took the oldest player ever drafted, a 28-year-old. Oh, wow. uh, 
in the, in the MLB draft. That was an interesting one. So you can look that up. Yeah, I did not um, see that, but I'll have to look at that. Yeah, so that was that was a wild one. Um, usually, don't see twenty eight year olds drafted out of junior college. Oh um, yeah, definitely not. That was remarkable. <laughs> As for the Cardinals, you know, I, I've done a little bit of reading about what they who they've drafted, and it's pretty encouraging. Uh, they they had the eighteenth overall pick, uh, you know, so not a super high pick. And uh, they drafted Michael McCreevy in the first round out of UC Santa Barbara. Uh, he's been compared to Shane Bieber, which would obviously be very incredible if he reached that oh, potential. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a big right-hander. He's got shown great control. Um, you know, he could have four or more average pitchers at four or more pitches, uh, that are plus pitches. Um, you know, it seems like the kind of guy that would make sense for the Cardinals, just their, their sort of the skill set that they would like. I think Mm -hmm. he could really be a strong, um, you know, middle of the order pitcher, maybe, maybe better, obviously Shane Bieber comparison, if he got to anything like that, it would be incredible, but oh, yeah. uh, pretty satisfied with what the Cardinals did. Um, nobody who I'm expecting to be making an impact in the majors super, super soon. That's going to change the fortunes of the team, because of course <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like a top three pick or anything, Yeah. Uh, but overall pretty satisfied. Uh, how about you? What, what did the White Sox do? Yeah. So uh, the White Sox went with their first high school uh, player since they drafted Tim Anderson uh, oh, wow. back in 2013. They went with Colson Montgomery out of Southridge High School in Indiana. Um, shortstop, third base type, left-handed bat. Um, but he uh, is he's uh, committed to Indiana at this point, Indiana University. Um, no word on if he uh, is going to sign with the White Sox or move on and go play uh, college ball for a few years. But uh, he is 19 years old. He's drawing comparisons to uh, Corey Seager uh, at this point in his career. Um, same kind of, you know, bat speed and, and, uh, and body type as Seager has, um, which is really encouraging. Um, and exciting to hear but you know just pretty solid draft overall last year they focused a lot on pitching Garrett Crochet uh, Jared Kelly Um, this year I think they you know focused more on bats and they took another um, infielder a third baseman another high schooler in the second round as well with Wes Cath so you know focus a little bit more on offense, at least in the, in the early part of the, of the draft, which I'm uh, happy with. Um, so definitely, like you said, not going to really make much of an impact uh, anytime in the next, probably even five years, but, you know, get past that and you're probably looking at um, that potential for them to these guys to be up in the majors and making some noise up there. One note that I will add is that um, the Oakland athletics drafted Max Muncie. Oh, yes. Yes. I saw this. Yes. <laughs> uh, how many years had it been since they drafted uh, the first, the, the original Max Muncie now yeah. at the Dodgers? I think it was 2012. Ah, yes, he was. He um, was picked by the A's in the fifth round in 2012. Yeah. The, the, the Dodgers Max Muncie. And now they yeah. drafted another Muncie since that worked out so well. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they won't let this one go though. Uh, or at least if they do it right, they won't let him go. But um, not only do they have the same name, they have the same birthday, August wow, 25th. I not see this. <laughs> yeah, they were both born on August 25th, 12 years apart. Um, so just a uh, 
kind of a, a wild uh, nugget of information there. But uh, two Max yeah. Muncies now in the league, and it's not like that's a uh, super common name, but I'm sure that won't get confusing. Hopefully the Dodgers Max Muncie is uh, long retired before this one gets up into the big league <laughs> so we don't have to clarify every time. Mm-hmm. Somebody pointed out uh, that, you know, Max Muncie got drafted on, you know, what what day was that? Probably like Sunday or Monday or something like yeah, that. It was Sunday, playing, yeah. And then he was playing in the All-Star game in two, on Tuesday, batting <laughs> second for the NL team. That's a, it's a pretty, fast uh, that's a fast track. The, yes, no kidding. The show. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So that's uh, all, all good there. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we had some uh, all-star replacements uh, that had to be uh, brought in to uh, replace some other guys that were either hurt or uh, decided not to attend. Um, Tim Anderson got his first uh, all-star selection. Uh, unfortunately, did not get an at-bat in the game. He was standing in the on-deck circle on uh, the top of the ninth inning uh, when the when the side was retired on the American League, which was unfortunate to see. Um, mm-hmm. But then you had Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, obviously was a replacement, and then got the start, um, which is kind of bizarre. Um, and then Yadier Molina um, for the Cardinals got an all-star selection as well to replace Buster Posey. Um, so, you know, it's those guys that, you know, were fringe, uh, fringe all-stars or maybe should have been in the all-star game anyway, um, getting their chance, uh, which is good to see. I know we talked about, uh, last week we talked about Scherzer and, uh, Trey Turner, um, just two of the guys to, that we felt got snubbed. Um, but it was, it was good to see those guys get in there. Um, is there anybody that, you know, you felt like, you know, got their, their deserved uh, recognition or was still snubbed uh, and didn't get even a replacement selection. Yeah. I mean, I think like we talked about last week, I think, you know, and it's something to remember every year um, is that in the end, I think most everybody who's deserving gets there because of the guys that bow out due to injury or, or other reasons. You know, I remember talking last week about Chris Bassett in the year that he had had, he had been mm-hmm. having for, for the A's, he ended up pitching, you know, he ended up making the team and then pitching an inning, um, right. you know, and like you mentioned, Tim Anderson and Walker Bueller, Scherzer, uh, Taiwan Walker, yeah. uh, Justin Turner. I mean, there's just, you know, like, I think in the end, you get to the point where may- maybe you could point out a player or two, and I don't even have anybody off the top of my head. You could yeah. probably point out a player or two and say, oh, he probably deserved to be there, but it was getting to the point where there was maybe a player or two rather than like, oh, there's sure. half a dozen here's 10 guys that deserve to be there in the end, almost all of them got there, um, yeah. got recognized. So no real complaints here. I think um, everybody that got there was well-deserved, of course, uh, you know, had an interesting couple of days for the Astros in that it wasn't a great, interesting. I should, I don't actually mean interesting. Uh, they had no representatives <laughs> at the all-star game because right. Altuve, Correa, Brantley, Presley were all out for various reasons. And then uh, they had both their first round, they had their first round pick, um, that was, uh, they had taken from them, of course, uh, as part of the, right. the sign stealing scandal. So they had their first and second round picks stripped from them. So not a good, I guess, you know, pretty much a great week for everybody, but no all-star representation, no first or second round picks for the Astros, not as great of a week for them. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and you know, they, uh, they kind of put that themselves in that situation. So 
hopefully yeah. we can start to move on from that but um we'll start with the all-star game we're already talking about it um mm-hmm. the american league defeated the national league five to two um and i think the highlight for just about everybody was vladimir guerrero jr's 468 foot bomb uh at cores it was a two-run homer and uh ended up giving uh lifting the uh, american league to that victory um if you watch his his interview after he was announced as the mvp you know he was very humble he he thanked his dad um which i thought was fun and he just you know he seemed genuinely you know humbled and uh and uh kind of awestruck by the uh the response that he was getting from from the fans uh after the game so um as far as white Sox all-stars we talked about tim anderson um already uh lance lynn pitched a scoreless inning with a walk and a strikeout um liam hendricks came in got the save very interesting because he was mic'd up um and we heard some some choice words from him uh on pitches that didn't uh go exactly where he wanted them to but uh it, it was definitely uh entertaining and provided a lot of uh um a lot of uh, points of discussion on social media afterwards. Um, and then Carlos Rodon did not get in the game either. I think that was a shame, especially considering his, uh, his uh, kind of major bounce back season that he's having. Um, but other than that, you know, it was, it was fun. You saw Jared Walsh play left field, which he had never played before in his, in his major league career, make a sliding catch. Uh, robbing Chris Bryant of what probably would have been either the game winning or game tying RBIs. Um, and then just, you know, it was the, you know, the, the best players in baseball just putting their skills on, on display for everyone to see. So that's kind of the, the best part of, uh, of all-star, the all-star break and the all-star festivities for me, Chris, what did you think? Uh, one about the game and two, um, trying to see if any, uh cardinals got into the game uh yeah we had we cardinals had two uh arenado and, and reyes yeah. uh okay. did, did both their reps who were there because yadi yadi uh was named an all-star as a replacement but didn't actually go to the game either uh due to okay. injury uh he sure. wanted to or he wanted to rest a, a foot injury that he had been dealing with um sure. you know first off uh fox really should have seen that coming with liam hendricks miking up <laughs> right. miking first of all miking up any closer but second yeah. of all, I mean, Liam Hendricks has a reputation. Like this isn't, this isn't like a brand new thing. Like they really should have seen that coming. Like, oh yeah, from a mile away, that that, that there were going to be some choice words on that broadcast. Yeah, uh, they're going to have him mic'd up. Uh, but it, it was interesting, uh, particularly when uh, he had he was mic'd up, but he didn't. The earpiece didn't seem to be working for him. Yeah. So at one point, was, the catcher uh... came out to the mound and for a mound <laughs> visit, and he said, "Oh," and the catcher like reminded him hey, you know, you got a mic on. And he said, oh, I don't think it's working. I can't hear it or something like that. Yeah, he um, said, uh, I saw an interview with him afterwards and he said it was uh, complete user error and his volume was just too low. Oh, mm-hmm. um, and that he probably would have been more uh, aware of, of the words he was using. But you talk about Liam Hendricks and the, uh, you know, his his kind of demeanor on the mound. And uh, I saw an interview with him uh, separate interview but it was also after the game and he was kind of like yeah you know my my wife says I has have two personalities like off the field I'm like the super go with the flow you know chill guy 
And then she said, when, once he gets out on the mound, he turns into like a complete psychopath. <laughs> so, you know, just, a, a, you know, he's, he's a fierce competitor. And I think that's what it comes down to, especially for someone who is almost, you know, out of the game of baseball uh, just a couple of years ago um, before he really found his, uh, his niche as the closer for the A's and all the White Sox. So, you know, just it gives you some uh, insight with some colorful language uh, as to, you know, his his uh, attitude on the mound. And it just shows you that he's he's going to you know compete at his highest level every single time out. So sorry to interrupt you. I just thought that was it was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It certainly was interesting. He's certainly uh, in a, a an all star game that included a ton of good stories and feel good stories and inspirational, mm-hmm. you know, players who, you know, overcome a lot to get there. He was certainly, uh, certainly one of them. I also thought it was fun just as another little tidbit, uh, the audio call audio that was broadcast of the bullpen, the calls to the bullpen that were made from the, uh, dugout. It sounded yeah. like NASCAR radio communication, but from a team to, from like, you know, the crew chief to the, cause it had the same sort of like tone to it where they, you know, sure. oh, we're, you know, we're, you know, you'd hear the call to the bullpen say, oh, we're just stalling for time, you know, stalling for time, st- you know, yeah. is he ready yet? You know, things, you know, it was, <laughs> that was kind of amusing to me. Um, you know, uh, like you mentioned, um, you know, Vlad Jr. being the, the uh, AL All-Star Game MVP, the youngest in MLB history, 22 mm-hmm. days, uh, 22 years, 119 days old. Um, and the Guerreros joined the Bonds and the Griffies as the only father-son duos to homer in the All-Star Game, which was, that was really cool to see. Um, yeah. You had Shohei Otani, uh, who was one of the big stars of the whole week, um, getting the win, pitching a scoreless first inning, Mm-hmm. Uh, and a really exciting week for him and, and just getting him the spotlight that he has, he has deserved and earns as one of the, the faces of the game at this point. Uh, oh, yeah. Really cool to see him go out there after participating in the home run derby the night before. And then mm-hmm. uh, he was batting leadoff and also threw a scoreless inning. And, uh, you know, I don't know, also, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know, he probably threw a touchdown pass too. He was out there, there was a video of him <laughs> of Peyton Manning giving him pointers on, on throwing, throwing the football uh, prior to the game too. Uh, You know, uh, I will also say this, you know, the all-star game kind of reminded me and, and the game itself was good, but it wasn't like it was super, super thrilling, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of game context, in terms of being really, really close, there, there wasn't that kind of situation, but it did point out to me and made me realize even more than I already did, just, how many exciting young players there are in the game right now it that it's going to be they're going to be fun to watch for years and years to come from Guerrero Jr. to Tatis Jr. to Acuna Jr. who we talked about uh, who wasn't there but who was an all-star of course uh, to Juan Soto to Rafael Devers to Ozzy Albies like the list goes on and on and on of -hmm. these young players that are like 21 22 23 years old Um, yeah who we're seeing be like just incredibly historically good at such a young age like we're used to and and i think there's always been young stars in the game but it particularly seems like right now so many of the top hitters like if you were to say you know here are the top you know let's let's talk about the top 10 position players in the game like eight of them would be guys who are like between the ages of 22 and 25 and i feel like it's even more 
drastic in terms of leaning towards the best players being so young than it has in other years. Um, so seeing that talent on display was, was really, really cool. Um, also just, and this has been pointed out by, uh, by some people on, on Twitter, it's, it's, it's not an original point uh, from me, mm -hmm. but the global outreach of this sport, um, really clear, really on display in the all-star oh, yeah. game. Uh, the pitcher who ended up getting the win, born in Japan, the pitcher who got the save, born in Australia, the pitcher who was named, uh, the, the player who was named MVP, born in Canada, grew up in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the global outreach of the game is, is, was definitely on display. It was really cool to see just how many players from different backgrounds, different countries, different perspectives, all contributing to this incredible state of the game and, and, and from a talent perspective right now. So that was, that was really cool to see as well. Yeah. I'm, you know, I completely agree with you. You're, you hit all the points I think I was gonna, <laughs> that I was gonna make. So uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to watch and, you know, the global outreach has never, I think been more apparent than it was uh, last night. And then I, I think it'll continue to, kind of grow in that way um but now we'll we'll touch on the home run derby for just a second um yeah i don't know if there's too much analysis you can really take away but obviously pete alonzo uh went home with his second consecutive home run derby championship um otani did not put on the show that we thought he might he did turn it on toward the end and made a run at uh at juan soto but uh, could not get over the hump after that slow start. Um, but it was, I think it was as good as it's, as it's uh, ever been. It wasn't quite on the level of 2019, but I think it was, uh, that's going to be hard to top uh, for any, any uh, year's home run derby from this point forward. Um, but just watching that and watching like the effortlessness of Pete Alonso. I mean, it, it seems like the guy is just made for this event. So if he does it, you know, next year, I don't know if there's any hope for anybody. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Effortlessness is definitely the right word to use there. I will say, you know, maybe it'll inspire some players who didn't participate in the home run derby, uh, some mm -hmm. big stars to try to dethrone um, Alonzo. Maybe we'll get Tatis in there mm -hmm. maybe we'll get Vlad in there uh Vladimir Guerrero Jr. again um you know maybe Acuna if he's back and healthy some of the like the other young stars sure. um maybe maybe it becomes a challenge to them to try to dethrone Alonzo um <laughs> that would be fun yeah. you know try to make it interesting even more interesting but yeah effortlessness I mean he made it look so easy yeah uh, you know there were some of these other hitters who clearly and you know not that they're at fault for this or anything like that but clearly we're just getting tired and you could see it from their mm -hmm. swings, like the swings yeah. and like the way that they sort of fell over their balance was off a little bit. Right. I mean, clearly they're taking swing after swing. I mean, if, of course yeah. they're going to be, you know, tired, but Alonzo just never showed that it was very right. machine-like. He just always, it was very repetitive. So yeah. easy. He did not appear to be tiring. I feel like he could have kept going for another 20 minutes at, at yeah. the rate, you know, <laughs> you know, like he, you know, he sealed the deal by going, six for six in a 28 second stretch in his right. extra time to defeat uh, Trey Mancini. And so, yeah, it was really fun just to see the incredible talent that Alonzo had, how easy it was for him and just how much mm -hmm. he was having fun too, because he clearly, 
he wasn't also, it also wasn't as easy as he made it look. It wasn't like he was standing up there like a robot, just hitting him. He was clearly right. he was pumping up the fans and jumping right. all around. He clearly was having a good time too, which is, was fun to see. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course the stat that I probably, you probably saw these tweets, he's made more from home run derbies now, like 2 yep. million from winning home run derbies than he has in salary from the Mets by a wide mm-hmm. margin. Uh, yeah. Eventually he'll get his payday soon. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but soon enough, but uh, that was, that was cool. And I also just want to throw this out there real quick. And I know we want to jump to some other things. Want to give a quick shout out to Trey Mancini, um, mm-hmm. what he did, you know, getting to the finals, but really just, him being there was was you know it was a win it was a win no matter if he hit zero home runs and didn't make right. it out of the first round it was going to be a win because he inspired a lot of people just by being there a guy who in march 2020 was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer he had surgery mm-hmm. to remove a tumor he was undergoing chemo until late september and it's been less than 10 months ago he was undergoing chemotherapy now he's made it to the finals of the home run derby uh <laughs> He said he wanted to inspire people who had, you know, been through like what he had that you could still, you know, get back to doing great things. And he absolutely did great things. That was, that was really cool to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. Big shout out to, to Trey Mancini. Um, And one other point that I'll make, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying about Pete Alonso, you know, watching, you know, I, I watched like the first couple of matchups and I was like, Oh, I really like, you know, Trey Mancini's swing and Matt Olson's swing seems really nice and really easy. And then Pete Alonso comes up there and he had the smoothest swing of anybody up there. You know, yep. he, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't like Joey Gallo and that big uppercut or even Juan Soto and his violent swing, especially with like the high altitude and the thin air up in, in Denver. I'm wondering how much of that played a part, at least into the fatigue of, of some of these guys, uh, especially the guys with the more violent swings. And I feel like, you know, Alonso and Mancini had the two most even, you know, easiest, smoothest swings. And they're the two that made it to the finals. And how much of that can you attribute to, you know, the thin air and the, you know, the, um, the uh, less, amount of oxygen that's up in 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 denver i don't know but it i thought it was pretty interesting and it was uh it was just it was fun to see so um also otani we talked about you know everybody kind of kind of kind of declared him the winner uh before it even started and uh he struggled early like i said but it was uh it was fun to watch him try and make a run at soto but uh for not it was uh yeah just a a fun event it always is and uh yeah that's uh all that i'll say about that um yeah yeah with otani i mean obviously it didn't you know he didn't go out there and win the home run derby like so many people were you know like oh you know what's what's he gonna do and but mm -hmm. still just like what he did in a period of 24 hours he still hit 28 home runs in the derby Right. including a 500 plus foot home run batted lead off mm-hmm. of the all-star game started the all-star game on the mound threw 100 plus mile an hour fastball threw a scoreless inning earned the win all within 24 hours so like oh yeah it didn't matter like i mean it obviously would have been cool to see him win the home run derby and you know maybe get a big hit in the all-star game but still like what he did 
in 24 hours was still just so remarkable. Absolutely. So big shout out to him. Hopefully he'll continue his space or his pace uh, in the second half. Um, but a little, just a little piece of news that I wanted to include as well. Um, Rob Manfred uh, said that seven inning double headers and the extra inning um, ghost runner free runner on second thing um, will more likely than not, they will not stick around. It is more likely than not that they will be eliminated going into the 2022 season, which I think for a lot of baseball fans is a good thing. Um, he said they were pretty much just, um, you know, measures taken uh, for COVID uh, precautions and that they were never meant to kind of stick around uh, as long as they have. But he said that um, a change of those rules couldn't really be made mid-season, which I understand. Um, but it'll be good to get back to that, uh, you know, those more traditional, you know, play the game till the end, till somebody wins and uh, full double headers. Um, and then he also said there, there is a significant potential for the universal DH uh, to be implemented next season, which uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but I am a huge proponent of because pitchers batting, uh, while it can create the novelties like we see with the, you know, Cameron hitting the, the grand slam last week. Um, it just, I think it's just going to make everything a lot smoother and a lot easier and uh, just probably create more offense in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm with you there hundred uh, percent. It's not with the universal DH in particular, it's something that I've had, a, had an evolution on in, in terms of my thinking, I was against it not that long ago, but within the last couple of seasons now I've really come to be, okay with it. So I, I think that's something that pretty much at this point, everybody expects to be part of the next collective bargaining agreement, which they'll need uh, a new one for before next season, which could become a, a topic for another day uh, mm -hmm. down the line. Uh, and then those other rules, the, the first two things about the, the ghost runner and the double headers, uh, seven innings going away for next year. Mm -hmm. I don't have much to say there other than I'm with you. I think those are both, those were two of the least popular recent rules changes. So I think it's yeah there are going to be people who liked it. I mean, Manfred, I believe he said he likes the extra inning runner uh, addition uh, personally, mm -hmm. but um, there'll be people who, who liked it, who are going to miss it, it miss it if it, if it uh, changes back to the way it was, but uh, I'm right there with you. I think, I think there'll be good changes, to, uh, good to change back, good to be just temporary rules changes. So, um, yeah. you know, a lot of times Rob Manfred comes out to talk or, or something, it's, it's not good news or he's criticized. Yeah. I think this is a situation mm -hmm. where we can say, okay, that, that seems right, good to hear, mm -hmm. and that'll be a good thing moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, also over the weekend, I just want to point this out real quick. There's not, there's no real analysis to say here for this one, but <laughs> I just thought it was notable. Um, on Monday, Manfred also announced uh, the league's largest ever charitable donation, uh, commitment of at least 100 million, maybe as much as $150 million uh, to mm -hmm. the Players Alliance for Diversity Initiatives. Uh, the Players Alliance founded last summer uh, their goal to create more, a more inclusive culture within baseball and the Black community uh, to increase access, to increase resources. Um, Curtis Granderson is the president, the former uh, MLB player, CeCe Sabathia, Edwin Jackson, among some of the others involved in that. It's just a really important cause uh, for the game. And so I thought that was really, really good to see the league make that uh, that commitment uh, to the players, uh, players alliance. So there's not a ton of analysis, but just 
something I thought was uh, a really good move and something that's uh, those sorts of causes and, and that the work that they're doing really important for the future of, of baseball. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just reading a little bit here. It's going to be uh, $10 million annually uh, beginning in 2023 and an additional 5 million in matching contributions from uh, just external fundraising. So um, I, like you said, I think that's great. It's going to, you know, get more people uh, involved in the game of baseball, which is always good. And uh, just a, a very good uh, um, forward thinking initiative for, uh, for the MLB to be uh, a part of. So I think that's a, uh, a very good point to bring up and uh, just a way, another way to move the game of baseball forward and get, you know, extend, we talked about it earlier, extend the global outreach. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have to reach that far. Uh, and this is one of those yeah. cases. Yeah, um, absolutely. One other thing, one other piece of news. Um, I realized we missed this uh, last week, but on June 30th, uh, Trey Turner hit for the cycle, his third cycle, the third cycle of his career. Uh, which tied the record for most cycles in a career. Uh, he's only 28 years old and still has a ton of speed, hits for pretty good power. Um, so I think he can, uh, he can definitely make a run at, at four cycles uh, for his career, which would uh, definitely be very, uh, one of those records that you don't really think about too much, but I saw it, you know, I saw he had hit for his third cycle um, yesterday, I don't know how I saw it, but I was like, you know, what's the record for most cycles in a career? And it ended up, it was three. So, um, just something I, uh, wanted to point out because, um, that's notable and, uh, we didn't get to it, uh, last week, but just something I wanted to mention real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Really impressive. Uh, just three other players have done that, have had three cycles in the modern era and he did it on his birthday. Uh, too yeah. as well uh, so yeah like you said he's young enough that it would not surprise me at all I mean you know who knows he could go play another 15 you know another 12 seasons and never have another cycle or he could right. do it next week and it would not shock me at all <laughs> yeah just one of those things you you never you never plan to do it but it, it kind of yeah. just happens absolutely so at this point, we'll, we'll recap our teams. Uh, I'll recap mm -hmm. the White Sox. Chris will talk about the Cardinals uh, as far as their, their games go. That uh, ran into the All-Star break. Um, last we talked, uh, the White Sox lost that game on the day we recorded on Monday. Uh, but since then, the White Sox have gone 5-0, and um, including two of three from the Twins. And they swept the Orioles on the road, headed into the All-Star break. Um, one piece of news, another injury, this time it's Yasmani Grandal. Uh, tore a tendon in his left knee, um, expected to miss about four to six weeks after he had surgery, which I think was yesterday. Uh, no, it was last week because uh, he tore it on, I believe, Monday uh, in that game and that loss. Um, but game two against the Twins, it was a four to one White Sox win. They only managed three hits, uh, two of them from Zach Collins, including a two run single. Um, but they took advantage of three errors by the Twins uh, to win that game. Uh, Jose Abreu added a sack fly as well. Um, Carlos Rodon was on, you know, in his his all star form, 
six innings of one run baseball, gave up seven hits and struck out eight. Kilpeck came in uh, for a scoreless seventh, and he's just been phenomenal since he's been back. Uh, and Liam Hendricks with the two inning save, four strikeouts for him. Um, good win for the Sox there. Game three, a hit parade, 15 hits, including a four hit game from Tim Anderson. Um, Leary Garcia contributed a two run homer in the seventh. Uh, Anderson with an RBI double in the fifth, uh, an RBI triple from Garcia again, uh, and an RBI double from Jake Berger, his first MLB RBI in the sixth. Um, Lance Lynn also in all-star form with six innings, four hits, an earned run, and six strikeouts. Uh, Ryan Burr, Cody Hoyer, Garrett Crochet, and Jose Ruiz combined to shut the door for the last three innings, and the White Sox won six to one. Uh, so two games in a row, allowing just one run. And they would go three in a row against Baltimore uh, to win 12 to one with an offensive barrage, 12 runs on 15 hits. And over those two games, uh, game three against the Twins and game one against Baltimore, 18 runs on 30 hits. Um, the O's got out to a one nothing lead, but then the White Sox got 12 in a row. Uh, it was a three hit, two RBI day from Tim Anderson. Um, Jose Abreu had two hits and three RBIs as well as two walks. Gavin Sheets hit a home run in uh, in the ballpark he grew up going to, uh, which was cool to see. It was he, his dad was there and got to see that as well. Um, Adam Engel had a home run and four RBIs, huge day for him. Dallas Keuchel was phenomenal, seven innings, seven hits, and earned run just three strikeouts. Um, Michael Kopech strike struck out the side in his one inning. Um, the White Sox had 24 base runners between those 15 hits. They walked eight times uh, and also reached base on an error. So a 12 to one win there. Uh, game two, another high scoring game. Brian Goodwin was the star in this one. Four hits, three RBIs. Leary Garcia had two doubles and two RBIs. Um, Lucas Giolito was very, very good. Five to one, or five and a third innings. Uh, six hits, two earned runs. And nine strikeouts. Liam Hendricks grabbed the four-out save uh, for uh, the Sox, and that was an eight-to-three win. In Game Three, uh, very bizarre game. Um, Dylan Cease was on the hill for the Sox. Uh, first two pitches of the game went bunt single, two-run homer, and then he didn't allow another hit for the rest of his five innings. Um, Andrew Vaughn had a huge game, two homers, four RBIs, including the three-run homer uh, in the sixth to give the White Sox the lead. Unfortunately, Liam Hendricks came in and gave, gave up uh, the game-tying two-run homer in the ninth to Trey Mancini, but it was all good. Adam Engel came up clutch in the top of the tenth, three-run homer uh, that put the Sox ahead for good, and all 11 runs were scored uh, up until – all 11 runs scored up until the bottom of the tenth inning were scored via the home run. Um, Cedric Mullins had a sack fly in the top in the bottom of the tenth uh, that broke that trend. But overall, um, the White Sox finished the week five and one uh, with the third best winning percentage and the third best run differential in baseball. They had an eight game lead over the Indians at the break, um, and then once Friday hits, they open with three against Houston at home, which will be a very interesting and a very good series. And then four against Minnesota at home, including a doubleheader, which I am going to. And this will be my first uh, 
MLB game since 2019. Tried to go to a, a Twins game up in Minnesota when I was there a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it got rained out. So hopefully these this game uh, coming up on Monday will be will go off without a hitch, and I can see some live baseball, some live Major League Baseball for the first time in two years. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> Fingers crossed the weather cooperates for you uh, oh, yeah, this absolutely. time around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, you know, first off, first of all, that's just the, the, the White Sox have had just such a horrible injury situation for position players. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Grandall. I mean, at this rate, I mean, we're, we're, we feel like we're like a few weeks away from the lineup being like Jose Abreu with one good leg and just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> like, like that's, I feel like, I mean, cause Jose Abreu just keeps getting like beat up, hit with pitches. Oh, yeah. And the keys just push through, push through all this stuff. And so I feel like we're just a few weeks away from it being like, ah, yes, here's Jose Abreu hobbling around on one leg and just a bunch of AAA players is Honestly, the rest of the lineup. It really um, feels like we're it. Already, and we're somehow already they keep winning. Yeah, somehow. I, I don't, it's it's kind of, it's so remarkable. And of course, uh, pitching is a big part of that. And and also right. the, 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 the big name hitters who they do have in the lineup healthy uh, for the yeah. most part, uh, performing at a good level. So, you know, Anderson and, and Abreu, um, you know, uh, the second thing I, I thought of, um, uh, Eloy Jimenez, of course, rehabbing uh, at AAA now oh, yeah. um, and, and hopefully back uh, before, potentially before the end of the month. Uh, yeah, so the goal. that would be, that would be a huge boost for that lineup. And, and like mm-hmm. we've talked about before, I know you have the stance and I completely agree that despite the fact that they have such a huge lead, in the AL Central, and they're going to run away with that division in all likelihood. Um, that that it's even and, and with Jimenez coming back, that they still need to add a bat, mm-hmm. as notable bat. Whether that bat is Adam Frazier, it's an average guy. Whether it's Eduardo Escobar or Joey Gallo, I, I don't know what it'll be. Uh, but that they still, with an eye toward the postseason, not toward you know, oh, we have to make this move to win the division, but as, as much as just an eye toward the future, uh, yeah. need to add a bat at, at the trade deadline. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because, you know, like I just alluded to, they have a huge lead in the AL Central, like you said, eight games. And this could be a huge runaway because at this point, you know, you can rule out Kansas City, you can rule out Minnesota, you can rule out Detroit. Cleveland's a couple games above 500 now, but uh, they're in a really weird spot because I, I just searched Indians trade deadline on Google and I'm seeing articles that say, they should go try to trade for Kyle Hendricks. And I'm also seeing articles that say, here are the three starters that the Indians should try to sell to the highest bidder and be sellers at the deadline. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's, there's reporting it. So it's a mixed signals there, you know, there's, oh, yeah. and, and who knows what they'll actually do, but there is reporting from, you know, MLB network analysts. And, and you know, I know John Heyman had something on this not too long ago about how the Indians could very well be sellers again at the trade deadline too. Yeah trade away decent, you know, probably not Jose Ramirez or Shane Bieber, but trade away any other significant piece they could to, to get some prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess it's going to depend on how these next couple, next couple weeks go, but there's like a very realistic scenario that two weeks from now, uh, we're looking at an AL central where four teams have just completely given up on, or all but one team has given up on trying to win the division, um, yeah. which would be weird. <laughs> uh, the run very. differential for that uh, division is just so wild plus 117 on the white Sox. everybody else is in the red yeah <laughs> so just <laughs> very wild chris have the um, uh cardinals managed to do anything dramatic one way or the other is it kind of just that middling mediocrity that's been kind of their whole season so far 
mostly in the middle. There are some encouraging signs from last week, but it's such a small sample size. Uh, So, you know, when we talked last week, they were playing the Giants the first of three games. Mm -hmm. And so they started last week by, by winning two of three against the Giants, the team that, as we talked about, has the best record in baseball at mm-hmm. the break. So that was really encouraging. Uh, game right. one, uh, uh, Kwang Hyung Kim was, was good. Matt Carpenter, who's not been, not been good this year at all, he contributed some. Uh, Arenado had a two-hit game. In mm-hmm. game two, they got multi-hit games from Goldschmidt, Arenado, Yachty, Edmundo Sosa. Adam Wainwright wasn't at his best, but even when Adam Wainwright isn't at his best, he, this in 2021, he's still solid, which is <laughs> nice to see given all the other rotation problems. Oh, yeah, um, they, they came out and lost game three. Alex Wood basically shut him down. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, two of three from the team with the best record in baseball, that was certainly encouraging. Um, then the question was, how could they continue to carry over some momentum there? They traveled to Wrigley for another big three-game series. Uh, the yeah. first game, it was not good. Uh, the <laughs> pitching fell apart, as it likely will continue to do every once in a while, even in the mm-hmm. best-case scenario. Wade LeBlanc on the mound. Uh, and three relievers, not good. Uh, Kyle Hendricks was able to navigate some hits from the Cardinals to put up a pretty solid outing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good performances near the top of the lineup from Carlson and from Goldschmidt, but it wasn't enough. Uh, so at that point, they'd won two in a row and then they lost two in a row. So it was a mixed bag. Um, yeah. They did come back in, in game two uh, behind another great outing from Kim, who went six innings, uh, got seven strikeouts. They got home runs from Goldschmidt and Edmund and DeYoung. So that was good to see. Yeah. And then the, the final game of that set in Chicago was postponed due to weather. Uh, it's going to be made up in September. So all in all, a three and two week last week for the Cardinals, which against uh, a solid, at least uh, a Cubs team that's at least solid and a very good San Francisco Giants team. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Uh, clearly, they're going to need to make up more ground than just three and two weeks. That's not going to be good enough. You know, <laughs> if they go three and two this week and three and two next week and yeah. two and four the next week, I guess that's not going to uh, make up enough ground because they head into the break, headed into the break with a 44 and 46 record tied with the Cubs, eight back in the central behind the surging Milwaukee Brewers and the Reds as well. It's not a great place to be. Uh, There's no doubt about that, but being close to 500, it's also not so bad that they couldn't make a run. That being said, you have to look at their ability to make a run. Like it's one thing where they're in a position where teams have made a run from being about 500 at the all-star break. It has happened several times, but are they actually capable of making that kind of a run that's that's where I still have questions. I think it's possible. It, I'm not ruling yeah. it out. I'm not like hopeless about it, but um, they're going to need help at the deadline. I'm still not confident in their pitching at all because, yeah. you know, Carlos Martinez has not been good, but still he's been a, a an arm that has been able to go out there every fifth day. And now they don't have him either. Uh, sidelined mm-hmm. indefinitely, a torn right thumb ligament, and he might have surgery. Uh, so at this point, even if you include Wade LeBlanc as part of their rotation, they still have just three pitchers in the rotation. It's Wainwright, mm-hmm. Kim, and Wade LeBlanc. <laughs> they optioned Oviedo to the minors. He'll probably come back. But even if he comes back and you keep LeBlanc in there and Wainwright and Kim remain healthy, that's still just four starting pitchers. Yeah, They're running out of bodies. 
uh, Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, they're starting to make some progress and may maybe they could be back uh, in early August or maybe late July, probably at least early August, but the Cardinals don't are not in the position of the White Sox, for example, where you know, they can wait, like they're not going to, you know, the White Sox don't need to rush back Eloy Jimenez, for example, right. but in the Cardinals don't want to do that with Michaelis or Flaherty, but they can't afford to like have a bad two weeks while waiting for those guys to come back. They can't just say, oh, well, Michaelis and Flaherty, Flaherty will be back in two weeks. They'll give us a boost. Mm -hmm. If they have a horrible two weeks, that's just it. They're done basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's also interesting because it was reported less than a week ago that the Cubs are beginning the process of being sellers at the trade mm -hmm. deadline after they went on a huge slide. Uh, that was, you know, Ken Rosenthal reporting that. So plenty of, you know, legitimacy there. The Cubs have the same record as the Cardinals. Now they're not in the same position organizationally. The Cubs have a ton of guys who are in the last year of their contract. Mm -hmm. The Cardinals are not in that position where it's even if, you know, there's no real benefit for them to give up on the season, even if they don't think it's going to happen, they might as well give it a shot because they're not going to trade away, you know, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, they're not on the last year of their contract like Bryant and Rizzo. So right. it's a different situation organizationally, but still the fact that these two teams have identical records in the same division and one of them's saying, well, time to, it, it sounds like behind the scenes saying it's time to sell at the deadline. Yeah. It's, it's not a great sign, um, you know, <laughs> But uh, we'll see how it plays out. You know, they had this stretch that we talked about where they played a ton of bad teams and they did not perform well against those bad teams. Mm -hmm. So now these next couple of weeks before the trade deadline are going to be crucial and they're not going to have bad teams to play in that stretch. They've got three games against the Giants this weekend, three against the Cubs, uh, four against the Cubs. It's a seven game homestand. So being at home should help. But those are two solid teams. Yeah. Then they go play three at Cincinnati, who's ahead of them in the division. So obviously it kind of goes without saying that what's ahead in this next week or two is a really, really important stretch. And if they, if they, you know, flail around these next few weeks and go, I don't know how many games they have before the, before the trade deadline, maybe sure. let's say something like 10 or 12 games before the deadline. If, you know, let's say it's like 12, if they go, you know, uh, four and eight in that stretch, then that's probably just it. If they go eight and four, then maybe they're selling, they're, they're buyers. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, obviously it's a, it's a really important stretch that mm -hmm. I don't know how that they have the pitching to be great in this next few weeks, but we'll see. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it, I've been where you are as a fan, you know, in that period, in that state where you're, you feel like you're on the brink of like breaking through and going on this huge win streak and being buyers at the deadline. And you also at the same time feel like you're on the brink of just complete and utter collapse and <laughs> yeah. you're going to have, you know, your lineup is going to be just doing nothing and your pitching rotation is going to be Jack Flaherty with one good arm <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that's it. So, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I can relate to where you're at as a fan. Um, definitely not fun, but it's, you know, it's the same test I had going into the break, you know, three against San Francisco right. and then uh, four against the Cubs. It's kind of a mirror image of that um, exactly. as well. Um, so, you know, hopefully it, it's very apparent that by the end of this, by, by the trade deadline, what they're going to do, but if it's not, you know, it's it's so hard to be 
you know, confident one way or the other, you know, in the moves that they will end up making, or maybe they make no moves and they just, you know, then that's almost worse than being <laughs> yeah. the possibility of the, you know, the, the front office being wrong. Um, yeah. So definitely a, uh, a crucial stretch for the Cardinals and uh, an important opportunity for the White Sox, especially those three games against Houston right out of the all-star break. So um, now we'll go to this day in baseball. July 14th is the day we're recording this. We'll go to, back to 2009. Um, this is all-star related uh, as well. Uh, the American League uh, extended its unbeaten streak to 13 games with a 4-3 to three victory over the National League at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, coincidentally. Um, Carl Crawford, the Rays outfielder, um, robbed Brad Hopp of the Colorado, uh, Brad Hop of, I don't know what team, because it doesn't say, of a go-ahead home run in the seventh inning. Uh, and Carl Crawford was named uh, the MVP of the game. And now it's bugging me what team Brad Hop played for, because I know for a fact he played for the Rockies at some point. Um, Let's see. He played uh, in 2009. He played for nope, the Rockies. Rockies. Okay, so I was right. Yeah. Um, right. Anyway, so that's what happened there. Um, and the American League is now on another win streak. They just won their eighth All-Star game in a row. Um, and it, and before that, in 2010, 11, and 12, the National League won all three of those games uh, by a combined score of 16 to 2. Um, so when they're, they're on, they're really good. But the American League has been dominant uh really since the late 80s uh early 90s and uh so i don't know if it if that means anything i don't know you know now because it doesn't count for uh literally anything in terms of you know home field advantage in the world series or anything um but the the american league now leads the all-time series 46 to 43 yeah yeah it's it's been a weird very streaky stretch of uh all-star you know the AL has dominated for uh for quite a while now prior to that there was a stretch uh let's see I know I had the numbers here uh all-star game here it is uh back in the between 1960 and 1985 the AL only won three times yeah so in like 25 years so it's a very streaky thing the NL for like decades and now the AL in the most recent couple decades mm -hmm. uh, has dominated um so yeah, it's a really weird, quirky thing. Um, you mentioned, you know, for that this day in baseball, you know, this one, uh, that all-star game at Bush Stadium uh, in St. Louis in 2009, that was just a few years after they opened the new uh, Bush Stadium yep. here. And it was the first all-star game that St. Louis had had since 1966. So oh, wow. it had been a few minutes. It had been actually <laughs> 70, 80, 90, uh, 40 years. Uh, since St. Yeah. Louis had hosted an all-star game. So that was, I remember when that was here, because of course, you know, a big deal around the city for sure. Oh yeah. Were you there? Did you go? I did not go. I did not oh, go. What I was, I like 11. I, yeah, I don't think I had fully become a huge fan yet. Like I, my, okay. my fandom took a long time to develop. Uh, sure. So I was a fan, but, but not, did not make it that year. I should have, should have gone. I don't know what I yeah. was doing, but uh, I don't know. I was slacking apparently. Yeah, no, that's okay. You'll be back, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we've we've done our uh, our divisional kind of spotlights up until this point, and now 
we are you know not exactly at the halfway point but for all intents and purposes we're at the halfway point of the season and you know we've kind of these division races have kind of taken shape who's going to be at the bottom who's going to be at the top who are going to be those teams in you know close contention for that top spot and those wild card spots so um chris what what are your what are your divisional races that you are going to be watching closely in the second half and that you're excited to watch kind of fully develop and and watch those teams battle uh, battle it out to the end yeah there are you know, in my estimation, this is kind of a rough look at it, but there's there's three divisions that might not be close at all. And there's mm-hmm. three divisions that I'm pretty confident will be close. Um, you know, you look at the ones that, that may be runaways, uh, the AL Central, I think that's the obvious, most obvious one with the White right. Sox. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the NL Central could be a runaway. The Brewers are up by four games. I don't think it'll be a runaway, but it could be, you know, there's a good amount of space there. Uh, the AL West where the Astros look very good. Um, You know, I'm not necessarily predicting that Oakland's going to, you know, fall way back or that the Cubs or Cardinals or Reds or somebody can't make a run in the central, but those are three divisions where I'm not super excited and thinking this is going to come down to the final days and which team's going to do it. Um, It could, it could, but uh, I'm not expecting that. The other ones I think are much more interesting. There are four teams in the AL West that could win that division. The Red Sox yeah. are on top right now. Now you have the Yankees and the Blue Jays. They're eight games back, but we know those are good teams. Yeah. And those could be teams that add at the deadline too. The Yankees, of course, have the resources. The Blue Jays are, you know, all in on this season. Um, not as if, not as in it's their only good season. They've got a great future. But mm-hmm. uh, if they decide to go out and, you know, add some, add a big arm or add Nelson Cruz or something, that would be exciting. And we know yeah. that, that the Rays and the Red Sox are pretty legit. So that's what I'm really interested in. Um, and then, you know, of course the NL West, because you got three (laughs) teams, two of them we expected to be there. We've talked about the NL West before, so I won't say too much, but right. It's the all-star break and it's not the, it's not the Padres or the Dodgers leading the NL West. It's the giants, the best record in baseball. Then there's the Dodgers who we we talked about. We both expect to still win that division. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Padres who are still great. Like, uh, that one could very, very well come down to the wire and it could be a three-way race mm-hmm. all the way to the finish line. Oh, and yeah. I mean, maybe all three of the, maybe all three teams make the playoffs at the end of the day, because maybe both the, you know, the second and third place teams get the wild card. That wouldn't yeah. shock me mm-hmm. uh, given the mediocrity of the NL East right now, <laughs> uh, which is another one I'm watching, but yeah, those right. are, those are kind of the big ones, the three-way race in the NL West and the, potentially as many as four teams that are in the mix in the AL East. How about you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I have those same divisions kind of top of mind going into the second half. I'm looking at the wild card right now. Um, you know, and those, and the Dodgers and Padres are those two wild card teams in the national league right now, but you have the Reds, Cincinnati three and a half back and the Phillies at 500 or six and a half back, but you look, below that and I don't know if there's any teams that are really going to be able to make a realistic run um you got the Braves the Cubs and the Cardinals all who are you know sitting a game or two under 500 and then below that I mean those teams are pretty much done um the Rockies and the Marlins uh Pittsburgh and Arizona as well 
uh, in the American League, you have Tampa Bay and Oakland in those two wild card spots, and then Seattle, Toronto, the Yankees, Cleveland, uh, all within five games of that second spot. So um, I think probably the American League wild card race is going to be more exciting to watch um, just because that National League West is so good. And whatever teams don't get in uh, by winning the division, they'll probably play each other in that wild card game. But it's there's a lot, a lot to pay attention to, and a lot to keep track of um, going into into the second half of the season. And it's going to be very interesting, especially if one of these teams, you know, sitting in third or fourth place, just makes it an unbelievable run, and in the division like the NL East or even the AL West. Um, it can make a huge, huge difference uh, in how that those divisions end up shaking out. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's it's one of those situations where, you know, and I know we'll be talking more about trades coming up in the next few weeks. But there are a number of teams that are in a position where, um, and I know this is kind of our final segment uh, that we want to talk about as well. Some of the big storylines and players and teams that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, paying attention to, are they going to get on track? Are they going to regress to uh, a worse version than they were in the first half? There are a lot of teams that are sort of, we, we know there are a few handful of teams that we know are pretty great uh, yeah. from the, from the White Sox to the, I think the Astros, uh, you know, the, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Padres, I think we can all be pretty confident. These are being very good teams, but there's also and then on the other side of the spectrum, there's the clearly very bad teams, AKA Baltimore, Texas, mm-hmm. um, you know, Pittsburgh. <laughs> we know that we know those names, but there are just yeah. a number of teams that are in the middle area right now right. where how the next week or so goes for them and what approach their front office takes at the deadline is going to be so interesting to watch because, you know, Toronto, uh, they're going to probably keep competing. Will they make a big splash uh, to try to win the AL East? Uh, will the Yankees make another, tra- you know, make more trades? They've spent a lot of money. Will they spend more? Or are they going to try to ride it out? Uh, you know, yeah. the Braves are a team I'm really interested in because we talked about it. We know what they're missing in their outfield. Mm-hmm. How aggressive are they going to be? Or are they just going to kind of play this out and see what happens? Um, you know, same with the NL Central teams the Reds, yeah. the Cardinals, uh, you know, there are just a number of teams in the middle where I'm going to be watching really closely in this next week or so. And both, both to what they do on the field and the words coming from their front office, because yeah. there are a few teams that could be in a position as sellers to really have a ton of power who have a number of big name players. They could trade. Yeah. The twins come to top of mind. They're, they're out of it, but they've got are pretty much out of it. I think, you know, they're, they're pre- everybody pretty much considers them done, but they've got some mm-hmm. pieces that can make a big impact like Nelson Cruz, uh, oh, yeah. the Cubs, if they're really these sellers that that sounds like they're going to be, I mean, they could get a haul for Chris Bryant and who a team trading for Chris Bryant or Rizzo or Baez, that could change the whole thing. If some team decides, you know, you could have two teams in a similar position in the same division or different divisions who take drastically different approaches. Yes. You know, the Cardinals could decide, we're not going to do anything. And the Reds could say, we're going to trade for Chris Bryant. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't expect that in particular, <laughs> but you could have just such different drastic approaches from teams in similar positions. So yeah. trying to figure out which teams are going to go, which direction, I think is going to be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, there's a lot to, you know, keep your eye on. And 
and uh, just watch, especially in these next two weeks, teams kind of have to decide, you know, what their approach is going to be, because like you said, there are so many teams in that, you know, super uncertain right around 500 range and one big move could shape, you know, the rest of the rest of the season in that, in a particular division. And that's kind of what our last segment is here is, uh, you know, looking ahead to the second half, what, you know, what teams, what players are looking to get back on track, what, what players and teams maybe will regress a little bit and what are kind of some storylines that we're looking out for in the latter half of the season. So Chris, I see you have, uh, you have a couple of teams here and you're, you're kind of right along with me. I didn't get a chance to put them in our, in our notes here. Um, But you know, we have kind of the same thoughts, I think. So you mentioned the Giants. Um, obviously, we talked about them best record in baseball. Um, how aggressive will they be at the deadline? It's it's a you know a crucial question because that's Giants a Giants team that doesn't have the same kind of star power that the Dodgers and the Padres do, of course. Uh, we know they've had some older players having, you know, a, a, a resurgence to previous, you know, previous form, you know, Posey and Crawford and, and, and players like that. Yeah. They're a front office that's really smart. The Giants are. I, I don't see yeah. them necessarily going on and grabbing Nelson Cruz. Of course, I don't have a DH, but just grabbing a star, a star, star hitter. I don't really think that's their, their attitude. That's just not really the way they operate. But right. they're such a strategic, smart front office that I could see them going out and just targeting this perfect, you know, middle reliever and this, mm-hmm. you know, good, you know, corner outfielder and just making small moves that help them continue to just be, you know, the sum of their parts, not about their star power, but about all these players coming together um, sure. to contribute and put it together a good product. Um, and then, yeah, you know, like you said, other teams that, that I've kind of I met I put on here were teams that we've talked about like the Braves and the Cubs mm-hmm. um you know the Cubs they could drive the market it, it, for for some of their top stars the Braves another team where you just wonder how aggressive are they going to be mm-hmm. um it's it's a interesting situation yeah absolutely um you know I've seen stuff about the Cubs where you know they're going to trade everybody and i've seen stuff where it says you know maybe maybe chris bryant will be it um yeah but i think it's going to be very interesting and i think you're right they could absolutely drive the market especially with the number of guys that you know are could be trade ships um mm-hmm. you know whether certain guys go and other guys don't you know that's gonna that's gonna shape you know what we see on July 31st and the days leading up to it. Um, but uh, you have some players here. Um, we'll get to those in a second. Um, but I have uh, a couple of guys as well. Um, we've talked about uh, this guy before in our kind of underachieving underachievers of the season thus far, but it's, it's Eugenio Suarez. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, I, his power numbers are there. He's got 18 home runs and, and 50 RBIs on the season, but he's batting 175. 
And <laughs> even with those power numbers, it's, his slugging percentage is still only 372 and his OPS is 628. He is striking out literally almost, almost four times as much as he is walking. And, you know, this is a guy that we saw, we saw what he could do. Is he going to hit 300? No, probably not. Is he going to, can he hit 250? Yeah, probably. But, you know, 18 of his 56 hits are home runs. 27 of his 56 hits are extra base hits. So if he's not, you know, if he's not hitting for power, he's not going to do really much of anything. Um, And for a Reds team that's, you know, right behind, uh, the Brewers by just four games. He's somebody that if he if they can get him on track, could make a big time difference. And you know whether they uh, win that division in the NL Central or whether you know they completely miss out on the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm looking at his baseball savant page and seeing, you know, he's striking out a career high rate, thirty yeah. percent. He's walking at what's essentially a career low rate in terms of his most recent good seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the expected stats, the stat cast data doesn't show that he really deserves to be having better. He has deserved to have better, much better numbers than he has right now. Like his yeah. expected batting average is 211, which is better than what does he want? You said 170 something, 175. 175. Yeah. yeah. Better than that, but still not good. Um <laughs> it seems like he's struggling pitchers are giving him fewer fastballs more off-speed breaking balls and he's just not able to respond to that like he clearly can connect but is overall he's also generating a lot of weak contact uh, just mm-hmm. rolling over on balls hitting ground balls as well so that's yeah. i think that's a really that's a really good one where you know if he's able to get things going and you know contribute more than a 170 batting average like it doesn't have to be great it could be 240 230 right exactly. that could be a big boost for that reds team that has talent castellanos mm-hmm. winker but there isn't a ton beyond them that's really producing at a high level exactly um, you know and, and one of mine is sort of along the same lines obviously he is not the guy i'm about to mention hasn't struggled with the average as much as suarez but christian yelich <laughs> another guy that like if he gets it going could be a mm-hmm. difference maker for his team. And it's a Brewers team that, you know, we've mentioned is, is sort of right now on this incredible run, um, yeah. 53 and 39, four games ahead in the central. That pitching, as we've mentioned before, is great. The top three mm-hmm. in that rotation, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and Brandon Woodruff is outstanding. But right. that lineup is not good. They're, they have the <laughs> worst batting average in the National League. And Yelich is a former... MVP and he's hitting 241. Yeah. And he's got five home runs and he's missed some time due to injury. And I think that could be factoring in. I think it absolutely could be factoring into his struggles. Oh, yeah. But if he could get it going, then that team could legitimately be I mean, that offense isn't going to be great unless they add Mm -hmm. a bunch of guys, but it could be good enough with that pitching if Yelich can get it going. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. maybe there's an opening for another team. So that's a guy who. Um, and like similar to Suarez, I could see being an X factor for his team in the second half in the same division, the NL Central. Yeah, absolutely. And then we had uh, we had kind of the same uh, thoughts on on this last guy. Um, what what is wrong with Glaber Torres? It's, what, what? Uh, I, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what was wrong. Like, I, I'm sure he does. I'm sure the Yankees wish they knew oh, because yeah. then we, 
it was 2019, two years ago, he hit 38 home runs. Of course, he did so much damage against the Orioles. We all remember that, that incredible, right. like, I don't know how many times he homered in that season against Baltimore. But <laughs> since then, it's been, now, It's it's been 119 games he's played since 2019. Mm-hmm. So, you know, between 2020 and 2021. 119 games that's not that's not a full season but it's a significant sample size right since the start of last season 241 batting average ops plus of 86 so below league average as a hitter Mm -hmm. 664 ops not good six home runs yeah like that's like a you know you you put that on like 150 160 game pace we're talking like i don't know does he get to double no he doesn't get to double digits like yeah what happened to his power like how do you go from hitting 38 home runs in a season to six over the next 120 games yeah it's it's just wild and the yankees like we talked about they they need production like they you know they're fourth in the al east now they're still three games above 500 yeah but they're not gonna i mean it's not like oh we just got to turn it on and beat the rays and head-to-head matchups and they can probably win that division. No, they're behind the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Red Sox because four of the five teams in that division are above 500. So even if one of those teams above them falls, those Mm -hmm. other, they're they're not all going to slip. The Yankees are going to have to perform much better. And I don't, and if Torres would be, have to be a big part of that, I have to think. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would think so. I'm, trying to find you know some kind of explanation looking at you know his baseball reference his baseball savant page and there's really no obvious you know explanation to me why he's struggling so much and especially struggling to hit for any kind of power because you know a 240 batting average isn't horrible you know you expect someone like Gleyber Torres and what he can do to hit better than that but you know those six home runs over the last you know almost full seasons worth of games just not the type of player that he established himself to be over his you know over 2018 and 2019 so whether he can turn it on or not will that you know determine how the Yankees you know where they finish in their division probably not you know he's just one player but it's definitely going to have at least a little bit of bearing on you know how the guys around him perform you know if he can get on base at least and you know he creates opportunities for other guys around him in the lineup that's going to help a lot but he's just not he he, there's something going on and I don't think anybody really knows what it is and he's got to figure it out so figure it out or else you know they're kind of it's kind of in the same situation with with Yelich and Suarez if he's a guy that their that their respective teams depend on to produce and none of those guys are doing it yeah yeah absolutely i mean i i've been looking too like you said and it's there's no obvious explanation it's not he, he's not striking out a, a whole bunch um mm-hmm. more than he did in the past i mean a little bit more but not a ton more and his walk rate is down but not exceptionally uh <laughs> it seems like he's just making a lot less hard contact like his hard contact percentage is down from like 40 percent in 2019 to Mm -hmm. 30 percent last year to 23 percent this year so he's just not hitting the ball very hard his ground ball percentage is also up 
So it seems like he's just not, I don't know if, if it's swing related, maybe there's an injury in there, but um, yeah, there's gotta be something. I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where it wouldn't shock me if he all of a sudden flips the switch, does some sort of swing change in the all-star break and he's fine, right. but also <laughs> it's been long enough that I, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. So definitely uh, three guys that, that uh, need to figure it out and hopefully they can, produce for their teams but uh i believe that is all the time we have we've covered everything that uh has happened over this past week and a half and it was a lot but thank you for sticking with us through this uh through this episode episode seven we will be back uh next week with uh another episode recapping the first uh, little bit a uh, few games before the trade deadline and after the all-star break and uh, any rumors that we hear or any trades that end up happening a little bit early, we will be sure to let you know, Chris, is there anything that you're keeping your eye on heading into the, uh, the weekend after the all-star break? You know, I think it'll be interesting to see, like you mentioned, if we have any early trades or if, if things really do wait until like the final week before the trade deadline to, to, mm -hmm. to happen. Uh, as for matchups this weekend, uh, I'm looking at the slate of games and there's a lot of uninspiring matchups, such as Marlins, <laughs> Phillies, Twins, Tigers, Mets, oh, Pirates. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of uninteresting series between oh, yeah. bad teams. Uh, the White Sox play the Astros, like like you mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I will say I'm also interested in, wow, a lot of bad matchups. Wow, yes. just a ton. <laughs> Yankees, Red Sox should be interesting. Uh, they're the oh, first yeah. game back from the break because they play tomorrow night on uh, well tomorrow night being thursday night july thursday, 15th yeah. they're the only game on the schedule on thursday yeah uh, so they play a four game series at yankee stadium so that'll be really interesting um because i mean the red sox clearly they're very legit but the yankees you know can't afford they need to start making up some ground if they're going to be really competitive atop the al east absolutely so Keep an eye on those on those matchups: Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, White Sox, and uh, we will talk to you all again uh, sometime next week with episode eight. Thank you for sticking with us and and listening to every episode that you do. And if you enjoy what you hear, be sure to tell uh, all your friends and family and everything, and spread the word about the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it, but. For Chris, I am Jake, and we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good night.